Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Paul Manafort, a longtime political consultant, 2016 campaign chair for Donald Trump, and author of the new book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. Paul, thanks for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. It's good to be with you, Rob. You've got quite a history in politics and going back to the Reagan days and even before that. Would you tell us a little bit of your backstory? Uh, Sure. I've uh, been active in politics really since my days in college at Georgetown University in the 70s and uh, after law school, went to work at the White House where Jerry Ford was involved at the senior level of his campaign for president and was involved also with Governor Reagan's campaign for president in 1980 and re-elected in 84 and have been active really in, just about pres- in all presidential politics since that time. Coming up to the Trump campaign in 2016 when I served as chairman, also been very active internationally in running campaigns in over 40 countries at the presidential and parliamentary level. So I'm pretty active in, in, in this space. I would imagine along the way, and, and this is just a reality of politics, that you made some political enemies. Was there anything out of the ordinary along the way, or did you just take it as part of the playing field? Well, I mean, you're right. You do make political enemies. But honestly, I've had a lot of friends on the Democratic Party. I, I had a lobbying firm, Black Manifold Stone & Kelly, that was uh, you know half Democrat, and I started the firm. Uh, and I, in, on my international campaigns, I include Democratic consultants in, in my work. Generally, until recent times, campaigns were when we parted ways, domestic campaigns, and when the campaigns were over, uh, we moved on. Okay, we kept our relationships. It's, uh, it frankly was, it was surprising to me in 2016 when the system came after me so hard, the Democrats did, and some Democrats who knew very well about me and my international activity and my my active involvement in, uh, in favor of Reagan policies against the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, yet they still tried to make me out into a link to uh, to, to Putin. And I just, I don't know why that was other than pure politics and it disappointed me, frankly. You mentioned, Paul, about how it used to be. What changed it? Can you go to a point in time where everything changed or a reason for this change? Well, I mean, Donald Trump, yeah. when he ran... Uh, he scared the system because he was a, a real threat to their existence. And I don't think they knew how to cope with him. And, and when, he, when he won, they didn't know how to deal with him. You know, in the process, uh, they came after me because I was a means to the end in their mind. I mean, I don't think they ever targeted me as Paul Manafort because I was Paul Manafort. Uh, but I was Donald Trump's campaign manager. And uh, they thought that they could squeeze me to give them Donald Trump. But to do so, I would have had to lie because there was no Russian collusion, and I and I wasn't going to lie. Let's talk about how all of this began. Where did you first get the inkling that they were after you? That this establishment deep state was coming for you? 
Yeah, I talk about that in the book. I mean, the first inkling was when they this fictitious black ledger emerged in Ukraine, when it's talking about how I took cash from my political consulting services and made made things sound very sinister. It was a fake document. The even the the U.S. government funded National Anti-Corruption Bureau, which is a, a, a Ukrainian uh, anti-corruption bureau working with the U.S. State Department. They even found within 30 days it was a bogus document. But for that kind of document to pop up because of my involvement in the Trump campaign got my attention. But honestly, at that time, and I talk about this in the book, I thought that once the election was over, everybody things would go on like they always do after an election. Uh, the losers would, would go back and figure out why they lost and try to make things different, and the winners would put a government together. Uh, except that didn't happen this time. And when the, when the intensity on Russian collusion continued between, you know, during the transition, uh, I started to pay more serious attention. And, and as I talk about in the book, when the Steele dossier got leaked uh, by the Obama administration, which was a totally fictitious document, you know, paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaigns, you know, you know, in an illegal way through uh, Perkins Cooley's law firm, never reporting it, and using, by the way, foreign nationals, including Russians, to try and dig up dirt on Donald Trump and me. And they came up with absurd conclusions because they could find no real facts. Well, when that came out, that's when I realized that this thing had more legs than, than it should have had and, and what, than I expected it to have. And, of course, when the Sessions recused himself, and I talk about this in the book, that really set the signals off in my head that, that there probably was going to be a special counsel and, and that they were going to be coming after me because I was, again, a means to the end, which was Donald Trump. Why did Jeff Sessions recuse himself? Because <laughs> he got he got scared by the system. There's no reason for him. I mean, I think the DOJ bureaucrats who were very anti-Trump uh, somehow convinced Sessions that it is responsibility to do so. Otherwise, he would have diminished his effectiveness and in fact, he ended his effectiveness the minute he did it. I have spoken to a lot of people who were a part of the Trump team over the past couple of years. Many of them mention the same thing that you talk about in the book, which is this propaganda machine. You know, for the average person, they don't really understand how this works. Would you tell us what you discovered about the propaganda that's out there against people like you and Donald Trump? Well, <laughs> it's generated basically from... Uh, yeah, I think the Democratic Committee, National Committee, or now the Biden administration, but it's you know, it's a pattern. You saw it. You see it in the, what they've done with Trump and and, Mar and this Marlago thing. So what happens is they take some kind of fabulous, crazy action. Trump, you know, has got nuclear secrets in his basement. Paul Manafort is a Russian spy. Uh, after the statement, the government then does something outrageous: raid my home, raid Donald Trump's home. Uh, then all of a sudden, anonymous government leaks go into the media. And by the way, interestingly, the same early reporters on the Marlago matter were the same early reporters on Paul Manafort's a Russian spy matter uh, five years before. So the pattern is clear. And then, then the very the sort of cognizante of the Democratic and woke left pick it up, and they use the same buzzwords. And within a couple of days, what came out as a you know a theory is now a fact. And that then becomes the foundation for future stories. And all of a sudden, it's not, is Paul Manafort a spy? But Paul Manafort's a spy. And Donald Trump is going to jail. I mean, it's just, and it's, the pattern is the same. I mean, the social media allows it to happen, but it's all coordinated. 
I mean, the guy in this in the case of I think President Trump, it's coordinated by the White House. I mean, for the White House to say they had no involvement, that lies been exposed now. I mean, John Solomon exposed that earlier this week. But to then say zero knowledge, you know, Biden said yesterday he had zero advanced knowledge, just like he had two weeks before talked about zero inflation in July. I mean, that's how meaningful zero is when the president speaks. So it's a White House constructed attention to do two things. One, keep Donald Trump busy. Two, to change the agenda from the Biden record, which the American people over 75 percent disapprove of, uh, to these specious charges of the president, you know, going to jail and not being able to run again. When you heard about the Mar-a-Lago raid, what was your initial response? And then hearing the details come out, did you see this as a pattern of what you'd experience and what we can continue to anticipate under this regime? Uh, yeah, I, frankly, you know, it was to quote Yogi Bear, deja vu all over yeah. again. It was the same pattern, the exact same pattern. Uh, I had been cooperating, and I talk about this in the book, with the Senate Intel Committees completely. Literally the week I had been cooperating, I had a raid on my house. And the raid on my house was at 6 o'clock in the morning. It was no knock. Over 15 flak-jacketed FBI agents, guns drawn, not at my door, but deep inside my apartment, at my bedroom door. And at that time, I had people threatening my life and things like that going on out, you know, out in the outside world. So when the guy said, this is the FBI, we're coming in, yeah, it could have been Russian spies. It could have been anybody. I didn't know who it was. And so it totally felt violated. And there was no reason for it because I had been giving them everything that was asked for, similar to what Donald Trump uh, has, was doing. He was working with the National Archives. There was no reason for such an, an historic you know, action uh, that you would see in Venezuela or Cuba uh, or some you know, by, you know, backwater uh, semi-democratic country, but not in the United States. Again, the system's weaponized. There's a two-tiered system of justice, one for Republicans, one for Democrats. And the only way that's going to change is Republicans going to have to take over control of the Congress and start start that change, and then we're going to have to get back to the White House and uh, and clean out the Justice Department from these people who put their political interests ahead of the Constitution. So how hard is that? We had Donald Trump there for four years, and I know what his intentions were, but there was a very seemingly difficult thing to do. Is there a different approach, or does it just take more time? It, it takes more time, plus experience matters. We need a Congress that will work with the president. I mean, even though Republicans had partial control, they weren't working with Trump on cleaning out the system. I think the Congress that's going to get elected this November, certainly in the House, is going to be a very different composition of Republicans. They're going to be people who believe in the the MAGA agenda, which is an agenda of lower taxes, draining the swamp, uh, border security, for America first foreign policy. And so they will work more in tandem with the White House than the previous Congress, Republican Congresses did uh, in Trump's first term. I'd like to go back to right after the raid. And obviously you were probably shell-shocked from that experience. But what happened next? And how were your rights violated? I mean, obviously the Fourth Amendment, but in other ways were your rights violated? In the raid itself, there was no reason for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a very broad search warrant. I mean, basically everything in my life for something that was supposed to be limited to Russian collusion. 
they weren't looking for Russian collusion because they knew that didn't exist. I mean, thanks to the Durham report, and I talk about this in the book, we now know that Clinton created the Russian collusion narrative as a lie to deflect from the attention on her server. We know that because her campaign manager under oath admitted it. We also know that John Brennan, within the week of that, briefed President Obama on uh, the fact that Clinton was doing this. We know that from John Brennan's own handwritten notes. And we also know that two weeks after that, the FBI greenlight lit Crossfire Hurricane, which was an investigation into the Clinton lie on Russian collusion that they knew about. Yeah, and then when they created a special counsel to deal with you know, Russian collusion, they get a search warrant to go through everything in my life going back way before I was ever involved in the, in the Trump campaign. I mean, years before, because they weren't looking for Russian collusion. They knew nothing existed on that. What they were looking for was something to get me, to to come after me, to squeeze me, to get Donald Trump. And then when they indicted me, they threw a gag order on me, which was very unconstitutional. But I just didn't have the money or enough time to deal with that issue when I was fighting for my my freedom and the charges they brought against me. Because that was part of the strategy was to bankrupt me. Uh, to make me incapable of uh, defending myself. So they threw the gag order on me. And then, similar to what they did with Lamar Lago, they leaked all kinds of false stories about me, tied me to Russia and things that, that if anyone had done the research about my time in Ukraine, they would have seen was totally untrue. And I couldn't defend myself. So that by the time my trial came in Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, the jury, which was already predisposed against Trump, uh, and, and me as his chairman, you know, it already convicted me in the court of public opinion. And then there are just a lot of things during the course of the trial. I mean, you know, Judge Berman Jackson saying that three weeks after the trial of the century that about me in Virginia, that I could get a fair trial in D.C., uh, which I clearly couldn't. I moved for venue change. She wouldn't give it to me. Everything was pre-cooked. Uh, Weissman was managing it. And it was not a fair situation. That's a summary, uh, Rob, of, of, of what, in the book I go into all the details, the dates and things like that. So you could see very clearly the game. Two reasons I really wrote the book. One was because of that gag order, I never got my story out. So I felt it was important for nothing else uh, than my family to get the truth on the record. But secondly, and this is, an, this is probably the more, the more important point, what they did to me and what they're now doing to President Trump is a danger to every Americans, you know, all Americans. I finished my book at the end of uh, last year, so I got the first year of the Biden administration in the book, and I talked about how they continue to weaponize the law enforcement system, and they're coming after Trump supporters and red state Republicans. And now you see that you see parents at school board meetings being called domestic terrorists. You see victims of crimes being called the the bad person. You see now eighty seven thousand new IRS agents being formed. You've had a you know, creation of a disinformation board at Homeland Securities that was set up so that anybody who criticized Biden would potentially be a, a designated domestic terrorist. It was so egregious that they had to pull that back. But the point is their intention was clear. And in my book, I talk about all of that because you know my story is simply what they did to me. The bigger issue is what they're doing to our system to go after anybody 
who disagrees with them to cower them into, you know, sitting on the sidelines. And that's exactly what they can't do. They have to, the American people, to protect their own constitutional rights, need to mobilize and need to stop this fascist takeover. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast with Paul Manafort continues in a moment. Schilling Show Unleashed. BorderHawk.News is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The BorderHawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and, in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. BorderHawk.News highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at Borderhawknews on Twitter. Get your fix online at shillingshow.com. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Paul Manafort. His new book is Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, but Not Silenced. And Paul, I want to talk a little bit about your time and experience in prison. Um, How did it come to be that you were sentenced like that? Uh, Once they came after me and indicted me, they put me in home confinement. I was in home confinement until I could make bail. My bo- my bail bond was ten million dollars. Uh, that was more than John Gotti had to mm. do. That was more than the drug cartel leaders had to do, uh, because they didn't want me out. They threw the gag order on me. They wanted me sitting in my home, so I couldn't deal with anything. And it took me four bail packages over six months. But eventually, by cobbling together the things pieces that had been approved in the three bail previous bail packages, I had a fourth bail package that was have to be accepted by the judge, even though she didn't want me free. And when that happened, Biden, Weissman brought obstruction of justice charges against me, claiming that I had, with a phone call that was a, that I didn't talk to the guy on, had intimidated the guy that they had already reached and squeezed and got to, to be the, a witness against me. He was never even on a witness list. When I reached out to him to tell him he needed to hire his own counsel uh, because they may come after him uh, because he lived in Europe and, and may not be may not have been following things in the States, I never talked to him. And there was no basis for anybody to think I was trying to intimidate him. And there was no basis for me to even know that he was on a witless system of the special counsels because they never filed it, even though we were asking for it. Bur- Berman Jackson never even put a witness list re- uh, restriction on me. So there was no reason I couldn't have called him, even if he was on the list, which he wasn't and which uh, I didn't have a restriction on. But it was all a, pre- it was a pre- pretense by Weissman because they didn't want me out and it looked like I had my bail package and would be able to roam freely with, of course, a, a bracelet on my ankle so that they could follow me wherever I was. And uh, so when I went to court to defend myself against, to present the bail package and as part of that hearing to deal with this obstruction of justice charge, Berman Jackson remanded me to prison from the courtroom. Mm-hmm. So I went from home that day, unexpected, not expecting to go to jail, into solitary confinement for almost 10 and a half months. Uh, and again, that was part of silencing me. I was in an eight by 12 room 
no windows. Uh, door had a slot for food to come in three times a day. No contact with people. It was meant to wear me down. And three hours away from my lawyers. So the, 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 when I could get out of the room was when my lawyers visited me. But I was three and a half hours away. So that wasn't happening very often. So it precluded my Sixth Amendment rights a fair trial. My First Amendment rights, freedom of expression. And it was an inhumane treatment. I mean, and I know that. I mean, they said solitary confinement for my protection. It was They were protecting me. Yet when I was, you know, finally sentenced and put into the general population in a prison, I was never in danger. And I wouldn't have been in danger during the pre-sentencing period either. But Weissman was trying to squeeze me to agree with his narrative that Donald Trump was involved with the Russians. It just wasn't true. And I wasn't going to lie. How did you maintain your sanity in, in all those months of um, solitary confinement, Paul? It seems like it would almost break anybody. I mean, I write about this in the book. One, early on in the process, a friend of mine who was an attorney on the Enron case warned me about Weissman and his tactics and uh, told me to read a book by Sidney Powell called License to Lie, mm-hmm. which lays it all out. I did. I got to understand it. So, And every one of them, by the way, was... In, the, in Sydney Paul's book was used against me. The first thing I did, frankly, was decide that I was going to live in the present. I wasn't going to live in the past. I wasn't going to be negative. I wasn't going to you know, worry about what was going to happen to me. I relied on my faith in my family. I created a schedule every day because one of the things I recognize in my life, when you have a schedule and you keep to a schedule, time passes quickly. And you say, well, how do you put a schedule when you're in solitary confinement? Well, I did. There were days that I ran out of time. I mean, between reading and diary work and reading the Bible and praying and meditating, I was able to uh, get through the days and knowing that at some point I would would be out of prison. I mean, I knew solitary wasn't forever. Even if I was convicted, I was going to have to go to a general population. And I always hoped, although I never reached out that Donald Trump would eventually pardon me because he knew I wasn't guilty of the collusion it would be a matter of time let's talk about how the pardon came about i'm sure as as his tenure wound up and then you saw what happened in the election that it had to be concerning to you yeah it was always concerning because i didn't have any commitment i mm-hmm. was totally uh the mercy of, of president trump but he's a fair man he knows me he knew i wasn't involved in anything like that what i was accused of and so in my mind in the worst case, which ended up being the, what happened, uh, I would be pardoned s- sometime after the general election in 2020, win or lose. Thanks to him, his mercy, he, he did pardon me. Uh, but it was an emotional time. As I said, I, I did not want to reach out to the president to ask for a pardon. And I talk about this in the book because I didn't want to politicize it in a way that the media could then you know, turn it around mm-hmm. and uh, and then maybe create a situation where it was infeasible for the president to give me a part. So I just had to, uh, and I talk about this actually, I, I deal with the, the, the nuances of reaching out, not reaching out. Uh, the, in the end, I decided not to, and I think that was the wise course. As we look, Paul, at the future of America, the, the America beyond Biden, uh, what do you think the future holds for this country? I mean, the story that you tell about what happened to you is certainly not a good omen for the country going forward. It's it's a warning, but it could be a good omen if they take action, which it looks like they're going to. And not because of me, but I think they're seeing as well. The American people get, get it ultimately. I mean, uh, my faith in our country is deep. 
and unabiding, uh, abiding, <laughs> not <laughs> And it's because I've seen it my whole life, 50 years, you know, the gen- they almost always, the American people figure it out. And they don't know, it doesn't always turn out the right way, but they figure it out. And in this case, it's overwhelming, and they have figured it out. Biden is a failed president. You know, 75% more think the party is country's going in the wrong direction. His Biden's unfavorable rates are at record low levels. His own party has rejected him. Rank and file of his party have rejected him. And for good reason. He took the successful Trump policies, economic policies, national security policies, and on day one changed them. And within a year, the country fell apart. And it wasn't because of COVID. It was because of what his economic program was, is, I mean, this latest debacle of, you know, when we're dealing with inflation of doing, I think it's a $300 billion, $10,000, you know, forgiveness of debt to basically graduate students and, uh, and upper management people and, and uh, uh, you know, and certainly white collar people, not to the, the, the poorest of poor who don't go to college. Um, and, and at a time when it will add to inflation. And he lies to the American people thinking that uh, they don't get it. I mean, he stands up and says, zero. I want you to remember the number zero. That's the amount of inflation we had in July. Well, he's saying this to people who in July were going to grocery markets, going to gas stations, and they were paying record amounts of money. They didn't think inflation was zero. And so when Biden says that, he just further uh, demonstrates to them that he's lying, that uh, you can't trust him, and they don't. And therefore, his unfavorable ratios are record record levels, and uh, and his acceptability for re-election is through the floor. It's never going to happen, even if he does run, which I think he will. That's my hope, I, that the American people will rally and take back their country. And my book speaks to that in, in some detail. Paul Manafort, if people want to get a copy of your new book, Political Prisoner, how can they do that? Uh, they can go to bookstores. You know, now it's in, the, it's in the bookstores. Or make it easy, just go online at Amazon.com or BarnesandNobles.com or even SimonAndSchuster.com, which is publishing the book for Skyhorse. And they can order it online and have it within two days. And I hope people will. It's very instructive and very important. Paul Manafort, thank you for being a guest today on The Shilling Show Unleashed Podcast. Thank you, Rob. Enjoyed being with you today. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. Until next time.